Well, welcome everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we're in a series, uh, well, it's gone, but anyway, <laughs> Who Needs God? Uh, started a couple weeks ago. Uh, kind of building to a certain point, and so if you missed one of the first two, you can either catch up the audio on our website or on Facebook. We actually show the video of the service. So we're glad that you're here. I've got some new people here. Uh, we teach in series. I pick a topic. This one's actually going to last six weeks. And this is week three. <clears throat> um, we'll be done about 12 o'clock, if anybody's concerned about that. Uh, get you out of here by, by then. Uh, heard a couple statistics this week that really caught my attention. <clears throat> the one, a guy was asking the question, what is the fastest growing religion in the United States? And so I'm trying to figure out what that is. And, you know, when you fill out a form and it says, you know, religious affiliation... And you can put something in that box. The fastest growing box is N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. So that's what this series really is about. It's uh, about nuns. People that don't have an affiliation. And uh, fastest growing group in the United States. Uh, in addition to that, he was saying that there's uh, like 198, I don't know, a bunch of countries in the, United States, in the world Christianity is actually growing in all but 20 of those countries. And guess where the United States fits? In the 20s. In one of the 20s. With all that we have. Churches and Bibles and, and radio stations and books and so forth. So, these nuns, N-O-N-E-S, and some of you are, and some of you are married to some, and all of us have relatives, friends that are, if you kind of feel stuck in the middle, most of them have some kind of religious background. But there's something about Christianity or something about church that just they couldn't accept or bothered them, had to reject. Uh, we talked, actually, we talked about atheism in week one, and that really isn't very attractive. It kind of brings a sense of depression or uh, it just, it's, so you're stuck in the middle. Can't go there, can't go there. So you just kind of get, get by with being stuck in the middle. It's just both, both extremes, both sides are unsettling. And I can understand that. There's things about Christianity or ch the church that, that's unsettling to me. And one thing we looked at is something called Christian deconversions. And these are people that would have claimed to be a Christian, maybe as a child, maybe as an adult, and just for whatever reason, they, they said, I, I, you know, I've got to reject that now. I, I just can't buy into that. There's something about that that bothers me. And so last week we talked about, somebody told me so, God's, some infantile, childlike, simplified versions of God that aren't really accurate. Uh, just a couple, uh, you know, nothing bad will happen to a good person. All right. Well, that's not Christianity, okay? Uh, but it's easy for some people to think that's what we're teaching. The idea that science and, and Christianity are ex opposite extremes. You've got to pick one or the other. That's not true. That's not real Christianity. So what we've been trying to do, and especially today what I'm going to talk to you about, is I'm going to try and talk to you from the perspective of a nun. N-O-N-E-S. Okay? So if, you're, if that describes you today, uh, you're in the right place at the right time. So we're titling this, though, The Bible Tells Me So. <clears throat> And it's going to be a little complicated, but you're all smart people, and I'm going to try and make it as clear as possible. And, and uh, don't, 
intend to offend anybody. If, if I do, you come to me afterwards and tell me, and I'll apologize, okay? Um, but I think if you just listen without trying to judge, going through, uh, this will make sense uh, by the time we're finished. <clears throat> so, some of you that went to church as a child, I did not, were taught a song. And we're going to put this first line up here. Jesus loves me, this I know. And those of you who know the end, what's the end of the song? Next verse is part of the verse. Well, the Bible tells me so. You were probably taught that as a child, and, and that, that's definitely true. But Christianity is so much more than that, isn't it? I'm trying to give you an example. Uh, get the date right. My wife's not in here, so. <laughs> uh, on November 19th, 1976, in a church in Hagerstown, uh, I got married. And I have a marriage license that says Hen- Henry Allen Youngbar, uh, on that date, married Debbie Sue Jenkins, okay? The fact that I have a marriage license doesn't prove that I love my wife, does it? I love my wife, so I got married. The, the marriage license just says, records the event. But my marriage is so much more than a, than, a, than a marriage ceremony or marriage license, isn't it? It's about a personal relationship that I had with this, this person for over 41 years, 42 years now. And she, my wife taught me this. It's from your ladies' Bible study on Saturday morning. That the scriptures, the Bible, ought to whet, whet our appetite <laughs> for a per, deeper personal relationship with God. There was an expression going around years ago God said it, I believe it, that settles it. How many, prefer, how many people heard that one? Okay. Which basically means the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. But then the comeback was this. God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if you and I believe it or not, right? <laughs> if God is God. <clears throat> but just because somebody says that God said it, or even the Bible says God said it, does that mean we're just supposed to not ask questions? I think one of the fantastic, great things about Christianity, we get to ask questions. And we don't need to be afraid of the answers. And God's not afraid of us asking questions. So, we'll go through a couple statements here. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, and the Bible goes, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. I think it's the number one reason why some of you are nuns, or people I know are nuns. Especially if you grew up in church. You were taught some things, and then you grew up. Maybe you or your kids went off to college, and uh, probably a misapplication, in my opinion, of, uh, of Christianity. But then they were taught something. And uh, another way of putting it is this way. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it's all or nothing. And that's kind of, unfortunately, we've gotten across to people in church. And, and so your kids go off to college, and then in uh, archaeology class or some class they're taught that you know we just found this skeleton is 15,000 years old the claim is 15,000 years old uh, we don't have to argue if it's true or not but if your son or daughter off in college you send them there to get educated and, and smart and use their use their brain they're thinking okay I believe this 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 skeleton's 15,000 years old but if I read the Bible Adam and Eve to now is about 6,000 years old so now um, I, your, your child is trying to think, well, I guess I have to decide between what I was taught in, in Sunday school or what my professor's teaching me in college. 
and I don't know what percentage, but the vast majority of those kids are going to do what? What are they, they going to believe? What they're taught in college. And so if you think, if you're taught got to take it all, it's all or nothing, what are they going to force to believe? Got to be nothing. It's a false, uh, unnecessary argument. But we take the blame, people like me and, and, and the church, of forcing people into this corner. So another way of saying this is, the Bible, if the entire Bible isn't true, then the Bible isn't true. That's another false argument. There isn't anything out there that everything's true about. Is there? Somebody will find something. It doesn't mean that most of it isn't true, does it? I've, I've heard this, that you've got to defend the Bible. I don't have to defend the Bible. God will take care of that. It's really about what we focus on, what our spotlight is on. Is my spotlight on that every, Bible described it, jot and tittle, <laughs> every little aspect of the Bible I can prove is exactly true? And if I can't, then I can't trust it? Is that what I want to convey as Christianity? Actually, we're getting things backwards. And I, this is on your outline. This isn't original with me, but I really like this. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. In fact, Christianity existed before the Bible. Or at least the New Testament did, right? I love this illustration. Uh, I assume everybody here has a birth certificate. I don't know. And we got a lot of kids, and you've got birth certificates for your kids. I'll describe mine. <laughs> mine says in, in 1951... In a, a hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, Henry Pierce Youngbar and Lois Lillian Youngbar had a child that they named Henry Allen Youngbar. Okay? I have one of those somewhere, a birth certificate. Okay? Now, here's the question Do I exist because of the birth certificate, or does the birth certificate exist because I exist? Easy answer, right? I don't exist because of the birth certificate. It just documents something that is true. So we're going to apply that to the Bible, and we're going to give you a little history lesson. Hopefully it won't be too boring for people who don't like history. I think it's, it's pretty interesting. So we're going to put a timeline up and cover some history. Now, let me back up a little bit. Obviously, we, we have a calendar that dates from the from birth of Jesus, right? Called the Gregorian calendar. But when Jesus was alive, there certainly wasn't a calendar based on his birth because he had he'd just been born. So the calendar back then was called the Julian calendar. It was dated back to, I think, 40-something B.C. We could say 46 B.C. Julius Caesar, dated from Julius Caesar. Okay, so for, for like 500 years, that was the, of our history. That was the calendar. Unfortunately, when we switched to the Gregorian calendar, they kind of missed it. Most experts, they, they missed it by a couple of years. And so, Jesus, we knew, lived about 33 years. Pretty sure he died 30, 30 A.D., all right? So that's the important date for us. That was the date that Jesus died, that year. <clears throat> so this guy named Jesus, claimed to be God, claimed to be Messiah, died. And of course, three days later, <laughs> most of us believe he came out of the grave. We'll talk about that a little more in a, in a few minutes. Uh, seven weeks later, the church was born. 
uh, Christianity. That's when it began. <clears throat> Next important date is this. And now, if you're Jewish or have Jewish friends or relatives, this is probably the worst date in Jewish history. It's 70 A.D. About 66 A.D., the Romans started conquering. Uh, the Israelites were rebelling against Rome, and so they started conquering town after town. Uh, the general was Vespasian. And uh, before he got to Jerusalem, he was called back to Rome, and he became the next Roman emperor. So his son Titus took over. And in 70 A.D., he got to Jerusalem. He surrounded the city, besieged the city. And I think it's August 6th or 9th or something. We actually have a date that they invaded the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, which would be huge for Jewish, Jewish folks, uh, murdered many people, crucified people, enslaved people, etc. Just destroyed the whole, the whole country. <clears throat> 70 AD, this horrible event happened to Jews. And to this day, the temple's never been rebuilt. This is important for us as we look at the viability, um, especially in the New Testament. As we look at the writings of the New Testament, most of the authors, maybe all of them, but most of the authors were Jewish. Is there any account of the destruction of this temple and Jerusalem in the New Testament? One exception, some people say it might be in the Gospel of, I mean in Revelation. There may be a reference to it. People that are skeptical about the Bible claim it wasn't written to 90 or so years after A.D. The reason they argue that is because then it's not trustworthy. Because all the people that saw it happen weren't alive. But there's no evidence for that. All the evidence says the New Testament was written, except for Revelation possibly, between 40 and 60, we'll say, A.D. Now what's significant about that? Because the people <laughs> that saw the events were still alive, right? They could contradict it and say, no, this didn't happen. These were eyewitnesses' accounts. I try to think of an illustration. Here, here's the best I came up with. <clears throat> if somebody, if you, if you and I pick up a book and it claims to be the history of the, of the world in the first half of the 20th century, so from 1900 to 1950, and you're reading this book, and there's no account of World War II. Probably the biggest event, right? What would your conclusion be? Well, we know there was a war. So the only other conclusion we, we would have, that book had to be written before 1939, right? Same argument applies to Scripture. Greatest event to Jewish people... The worst event in Jewish history was the destruction of the temple. It's not recorded in Scripture, so Scripture had to be written before 70 A.D. Another argument, and we're going to look at some Scripture here, is there are different motifs of writing. There's fiction writing or story writing, and there's historical writing. Now, we understand fiction, don't we? Once upon a time, in a galaxy far, far away. We, we understand fiction, right? History's not written that way. And so we're going to read something out of the New Testament. You tell me if it's story motif or history motif, okay? Here we go. 
Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was the ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over some other place. <laughs> and Draconius, uh, uh, Licinius was ruler over Abilene. Some of these words are a little easier than others. Uh, Ananus and Caiaphas were the high priests. At the time, the message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Story motif or historic motif? It's history, right? Luke is saying, hey, I'm writing history. This is facts. I've done the research. I don't want it to be confused. I'm going to pinpoint exactly when it happened, and that's exactly what he did. Now, this, the, this stuff doesn't come from me. If you want to study it some more, read more about this stuff, there's a good book I can recommend to you uh, called Stealing from God by this, this author over here. I think it's written in your outline, so you don't have to, have to write it down. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to fast forward now. Um, to another a huge event in the life of the world, Christianity in particular, 312. <clears throat> in 312, the Roman Empire had three emperors, Constantine and two other guys. One guy was pretty powerful, the other guy really wasn't. So it was divided. So there's this big battle. Where's my notes about the battle? Oh, Father one. Let me, um, Guy by the name of, uh, the battle was called something bridge. We're not there yet? Excuse me. I've lost my place. Yeah, that's farther down. Excuse me, I jumped ahead too far. Um, so these New Testament documents that were written before, uh, excuse me, before uh, the destruction of the temple, should, we would claim they're reliable, Right? Historical. People would deny them. Another way to think about this is what do you copy, especially if it's expensive? Let me ask you something. If you had a copy, it cost you $100 to copy something, what would you copy? Because we copy lots of things, so it's cheap now. It had to be pretty important to you, right? And so these documents that these Luke and these other guys had written, people continued to copy them at great expense in time and energy. It's not like us today. Uh, uh, books and paper and all that stuff. So these guys went to great lengths and great expense to make copies of these historical events, important events. One of the arguments is there's some variance. And if you've got a good study Bible, it'll tell you at the bottom of the footnotes, some manuscripts say this, some manuscripts say that. Well, that's true, and that's honest, and we don't have to be afraid of that because there's no theological, significant theological differences in any of those variants. There's not one that says Jesus rose from the dead, and another one says he didn't rise from the dead, okay? So that, again, that's nothing we need to be afraid of. The amazing thing is these things had been copied and had been preserved, and we have them 2,000 years later. Very, we have very little writings from 2,000 years ago, and most of them were things that emperors paid somebody to write. Right? Nobody was paid to do this. So here, here's a conclusion you can come to that they didn't make the copies because they thought they were inspired. We use that word a lot. They were just writing what? They were just writing what they, they, they saw as true. Right? They saw these events. They were eyewitnesses. They were writing what they saw was true. And as they said, this was ex- very, very expensive. Actually, up 
1,500 years. Most people couldn't read or write anyway, and there was no, very few copies of um, what we would call the Bible or Scripture. So let's get back to our timeline. Now we'll get back to where I said it earlier. So the empire is divided between three emperors. So there's this big battle. It's called Mil- Milvian Bridge over the Tiber River. And Constantine wins. Defeats the other guy, tries to swim across the river, and Tiber River, he drowns, gets his head cut off. And so he's victorious. Now one of the huge mysteries of history is this. He wants to unify the empire. How am I going to unify the empire? And here's his decision. This is what he chooses. I'm going to take this illegal religion called Christianity and I'm going to legalize it. I'm going to make it the state religion. This is the religion for almost 300 years that had been persecuted by the Romans and persecuted by the uh, uh, Jewish leaders. Why in the world would Constantine choose to do that? Here's the mystery. Christianity had spread and had made such an impact and it had such influence in the world, even being illegal and persecuted, that it was the best choice to unify the Roman Empire. On your outline, Christianity made its greatest strides during the 282 years before the Bible even existed. See, there wasn't any Bible. There were fragments of the Bible, but there was no Bible uh, that... that, uh, we know there was an Old Testament that was in the synagogues, uh, much of which non-Jewish Christians had rejected anyway. So then back to our timeline. <clears throat> so about 350, what we call the Bible was put together. And it was a Greek version and different kind of versions and um, etc. And it wasn't called a Bible until about 388. Here's kind of a conclusion that we could come to. Before the Old Testament and New Testament were combined to be titled the Bible, Christianity had already replaced the pantheon, the Romans, the barbarians, and most of the Egyptian gods and became the state religion of the Roman Empire. It's just mind-boggling. It's just amazing. Now, I like to pretend or imagine stuff. So let's pretend a little bit. We're living that time, early church, and... We want to go to Peter and, and we're going to ask Peter a question. We say, Peter, is uh, mankind 6,000 years old? What's Peter's response going to be? What do you think is Peter's response going to be? I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I do know. This guy named Jesus came along and I started following him. He claimed to be God and we thought he was the Messiah and then he went and got himself killed. And so we thought that was all over with. Three days later, some ladies came and said, hey, the body's gone. We thought somebody had stolen him. And then one day I was walking on the beach with him and having breakfast with him. And, and then eventually he left and told us to wait on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came and... and uh, we were empowered and we started the church. I don't know if mankind's 6,000 years old. But I know God did something unique, something special. 
in this man named Jesus. It made me, reminded me of a story in Scripture. It's a pretty long story. It's in John chapter 9. And so a guy has been born blind, okay? <laughs> and he was born blind. And Jesus heals him. The problem is Jesus heals him what's called the Sabbath. I've got a blinking light going here. For in the Sabbath. And uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, religious leaders said that was a sin. That was a work and you can't work on the Sabbath. And uh, so he, Jesus was getting himself in trouble. Well, the religious leaders come to this blind guy and says, hey, are you one of his followers? And God didn't know what he's talking about. He said, who is this Jesus guy? And they had the argument among themselves. He was a sinner. He worked on the Sabbath, so he couldn't be the, who he said he was. And other people said, but how did he perform this miracle? So then they go talk to his parents, the blind guy's parents. Who is this guy? And they didn't want to get in trouble, so they didn't answer it. Finally, they go back to this guy again and ask him. And here's, he gives this beautiful response, okay? Here's his response. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know if he's the Messiah. He said he thought he was a prophet at least. This is what I know, okay? I was blind, now I see. <laughs> Bottom line, okay? I was blind, now I see. Thank you, good Jesus, this Jesus guy. I don't know, in this case, if the world's mankind's 6,000 years old or not. I was blind, but now I see. And those of you that are, are ones, are people we know that are nuns, and others that we know that are nuns, um, funny thing is, it's so often we discuss things I would say are minors instead of majors. And that's what th this guy was saying. I know this. There's things I don't know, but I know this. I'm sure about this. I'm positive about this. On your outline, for the first 300 years, the debate centered not on this book that we argue about so much that we call a Bible. It was on an event, right? This Jesus guy, was he who he said he did? Did he actually raise from the dead and, and uh, start this thing called Christianity? So, consequently, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, not because the Bible says so, even though it's recorded in the Bible. It's way better than that, Right? That's who he said he was. He did what he said he did. And the proof of it, it was this miraculous church that was birthed. Sometimes we think Christianity and or the Bible, if you want to say that, are so fragile. Again, we don't have to defend it. Especially Christianity. First century church, the Christ, uh, Christianity, the, the, the church was fearless and compassionate. The Bible describes it this way, turn the world upside down. And the proof of that is, again, what happened in 3, 312 with the Roman Empire. Those of you that may be nuns, probably some of you believe it, some of you don't. Some of you reject the whole thing, some of you reject some of it. I would just encourage you to embrace this precious, remarkable book that's been preserved, again, for 2,000 years that tells about this these events that no one can question. So, Jesus loves us. This you know. Why? Because this guy named John just gave us his testimony of hanging out with this guy and seeing him in resurrection. And Luke had recorded this stuff. And Paul, who came along later, but, you know, it changed his life. He went out starting churches and writing letters to encourage these folks. 
And all the people, these and others that died, the testimony that they died for this that they believed. So it's really not about a book. It's about a who. It's about a relationship with a personal God. Relationships, life's about relationships. Relationships are beauty, but they're all different, right? Most of you know my wife. We all have a different relationship with my wife. I'm married to her. I probably know her better than anybody else in this room. But if somebody was, if you describe your relationship with Deb, it would be different if I described my relationship with Deb. It wouldn't change the fact, would it? So the early church didn't document what they believed. They didn't have to. They documented what they saw. They were witnesses, eyewitnesses. So the, the issue always has been. So let's focus on what's important. Most important. Who is Jesus? If he is who he said he is, we ought to follow him. If he isn't, none of us should follow him. (laughs) It disrupted the the whole world 2,000 years ago. It wasn't about a Bible. It didn't exist. It was about a Savior who died and resurrected. Another way to ask the question is, what do you have to believe to become a Jesus follower? We did a series a long time ago about this. Jesus said, just come follow me. You can figure it out later. I would like you, if you if you're, uh, consider yourself a, a nun, that you would re- just reconsider. That's all we want you to do. Just reconsider. Uh, it's too important. Those of us that are Jesus followers, it, it's so important to us. As someone has said, it makes life better. It makes you better at life. And we want that for you. So would you just reconsider? Next week, if these documents are true, then we're, next week we're going to look at what did Jesus say about God? Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray. God, I hope this has been, made sense this morning, especially the folks here that kind of don't know where they are, kind of stuck in between, that this would at least nudge them back toward Christianity. God, that most of us here, or a lot of us here, are pretty firm in our faith. Uh, we thank you for this precious book, <laughs> and what it means to us, but more, even more so for this relationship that we have with you. So much more. We have prayer, and we have worship, and we have fellowship, and it all adds to this relationship experience we have with you. And God, we so much want that for everyone. And so we do pray for the ones here this morning, the nuns, excuse me, that are here this morning, that they would reconsider, they would reexamine. They wouldn't focus on the problems they have with the Bible and Christianity, but they would focus on what's most important. Jesus, who are you? Are you who, who you said you are? And we look forward to next week, God, as we just research, study some more. Uh, about what Jesus says about you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.